Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. In the beginning of this chapter, Daniel receives a terrifying vision, and he doesn't understand what it means until an angel comes and explains it to him. And that's where we start in chapter 10, verse 10. Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. Then we turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We will first read a portion from chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, then chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. So we begin in Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Then we turn to the last chapter, Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far, our scripture reading. The text for the sermon this afternoon is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Let's read those verses once more. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. After the proclamation of God's word, we will respond by singing from Psalm 35, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, when was the last time you had a fight with the devil? Do you ever think of your spiritual battles as being battles with the devil? In Lord's Day 52, we confess that we have three sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh. And of these three, the world and our own flesh are, are the most easily recognizable enemies that we have, the most tangible. Right? The temptations of the world are all around us, and, and we all live in our own flesh every day. These are the kinds of in-your-face kind of enemies. They're very real. But the devil doesn't always seem so real to us. We know he's out there somewhere. But he doesn't always seem like a personal enemy. That's perhaps partly because of the culture we live in. We live in a culture that, by and large, does not believe in the spiritual world. And today, most people only believe what they can see and touch. And evil is considered to be the result of natural or physical realities. Evil is the result of bad government or, or bad parenting or a sick mind. And this affects us as well in many ways. We also fight what we can see and touch and hear. Right? We fight political systems. We fight bad laws. We fight the desires in our own hearts. We understand bad friends lead to bad choices, and bad choices lead to bad habits. But our text this afternoon teaches us to look deeper than this. We need to see that there is a spiritual dimension to the struggles that we face the devil is a very real and dangerous enemy. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that the devil is a fierce enemy of Christians. And he sums this up by stating, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the Apostle Paul isn't warning his readers about a horde of barbarians about to invade Rome. And he's not warning us against terrorists who could wipe us off the map. This is a spiritual warfare, and the devil is our chief antagonist. And the battle is going on here in our lives. And yes, Paul speaks of warfare in the heavenly places, but it's clear that the battle is not just going on up there somewhere. It's not just a battle between God and Satan or or between Michael and Lucifer. There's a battle going on here around us, and we're part of it. In fact, we are the primary targets of God's avowed enemy. And therefore, as soldiers of Christ, we are called to stand firm in the battle. And that's the theme for the sermon. The soldier of Christ must stand firm in the battle. We will consider, first of all, that Christ's victory is sure. Secondly, the enemy is dangerous, but our armor, in the third place, is effective. So how can we fight an enemy who is always scheming, who, who shoots flaming arrows, who is full of wicked schemes? Verse 11, the devil is sly and devious, more crafty than other, any other creature. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour And to top it all off, he has a host of spiritual forces of evil at his beck and call. Against the army of the evil one, it seems we are hopelessly outnumbered. If we think we can lick him, we're just kidding ourselves, aren't we? Compared to him, we're way out of his league. What a frightening picture, congregation. Do we even stand a chance? Well, yes, we do, because there is hope and there is a way. And the most, the most awesome thing about that is that we don't have to rely on ourselves to fight this enemy. In verse 10, we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong, writes the apostle. That means be empowered. Be empowered in the Lord and in the might of his strength. And this is a clear indication of our own weakness and of God's strength. We do nothing of ourselves. We are weak. He is strong. We are unable. God is the one who enables. And by speaking in this manner, the apostle reminds us of what he wrote earlier in this letter. Paul is not speaking to people here who still have to become Christians. He is speaking to the saints in Ephesus, chapter 1, verse 1, the faithful in Christ Jesus, people who have already come to faith, those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. He is speaking to the ones who were chosen in Christ. 1 verse 11, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. These are the ones who were called to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us who believe. And what does Paul mean with the greatness of his power toward us? Well, it's a power which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So to be empowered in the Lord and in the strength of his might is to be empowered with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. 
And this power is so great that God has already put on all things under Christ's feet. He has given him as head over all things for the church. Paul reminds us here of what Christ did on Good Friday and Easter. God raised his son triumphant from the grave. And in doing so, he demonstrated his victory over death and over sin and over Satan. He demonstrated his victory over the devil and his evil forces who brought sin into this world in the first place. And then Paul goes on to remind us of Christ's ascension into heaven. God not only glorified the risen Christ, but he made him head over all things for the church. And Christ is seated on the throne at the Father's right hand, and all things are under his feet. All rulers, all authorities, all powers of this dark world are already under the authority of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. He is seated far above them. All things are under his feet. And the words authorities and powers and dominions refer to the power of Satan and his demons. These words are references to the power and might of the fallen angels, the angels who rebelled against God. And they have great power. One way to explain this is by thinking about what we read in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel had a very disturbing vision from the Lord and he didn't understand what it meant until one of God's angels came and explained it to him. And the angel told Daniel that it had taken him three weeks, 21 days, to reach Daniel. Why? Because, the angel said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. The point is, Satan and his demons have so much power, they can even delay God's angels. But we read in Ephesians chapter 1 that Christ has all authority over them. His throne is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in heaven and on earth. Every prince of the power of the air is under his feet. What David prophesied so long ago in Psalm 110 has come true. The Lord has made all of Christ's enemies his footstool. He rules in the midst of his enemies. And that's why Paul can write in Ephesians 4 verse 8 that when Christ ascended into heaven, he led a host of captives. The powers of darkness are the prisoners of Christ, and the whole world of demons is subject to him. And the same power that raised him from the dead and seated him in glory at the Father's right hand is the same power that empowers us to be strong. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't get any stronger than that. You know, we sometimes have the tendency to think of the world around us as enemy territory. As if the world is under the control of powerful and evil men and evil governments. And that evil forces dominate. But Christ is in control. He also controls the forces of evil. They serve his purposes. For he rules as head over all things for the church. You see, even the demons are subject to God's eternal glory and his purposes. They, too, exist only for his majesty. And if we read in Ephesians chapter 3, there, there, there we learn that 
The church is to display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. And that chapter also tells us that this occurs according to the eternal purpose of God that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see, the battle we're in is not in the first place about us. It's about displaying the manifold wisdom and the glory and the power of God. And we have to remember that we are finite people. We have a limited vision. And we only live on this earth for a few short years. We don't get to see how God is shaping world history today or, or even tomorrow. Yes, you know, sometimes we can get a better picture of what God has done and perhaps what he is doing when we study the past, when we see how he humbles nations and kingdoms and exalts others. When we study the book of Daniel, for example, we can see how God allows Satan control in some situations. And he allows empires to do his work. But we don't understand all that God is doing on this earth. But what we do know is that this world is not being run by the devil and his angels. And the prime ministers and the presidents of this world don't control everything that happens either. Not even close. Christ is in control and he rules over all things. Everything is under his feet. And that has practical consequences for how we ought to think. God is at the helm. Also at the helm of our nation. And that doesn't mean that we, that we have to live passively as citizens. That we don't have to get involved in politics or in our communities. But it also means that we don't have to panic. And we don't have to live in perpetual or unreasonable fear. Because whatever happens, we know that Christ is Lord of all for the church. And that also means then that the factory we work in, the university where we study, and the politicians of our nation are all subject to Jesus Christ for the sake of his church. And that might, that might not be completely clear to us in this life. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it. And one day it will become clear. On the day that Christ returns, all his and our enemies will receive the fruits of their unbelief. On that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will have to, even if they don't want to. But for those who do not believe, it will be too late. And on that day, both Christ and all who trust in him will be vindicated and the faithful will be crowned with glory and honor. It will be a day in which the manifold wisdom and glory of God will be fully displayed. And the bride of Christ will be arrayed in garments of glory. And that congregation is why the soldier of Christ can stand firm in the battle. Because victory is already assured. For our king is victorious. And the devil and his demons, they know it full well. They will shudder in absolute terror before the judge of all the earth. In fact, they do so already, according to James chapter 2. They know their doom is sure. And that's why they are still so dangerous. Even though all things are subject to Christ, there are still many enemies of Christ running around. The apostle makes that very clear. He makes it clear that we are confronted with enemies. 
And the reality remains that as soldiers of Christ, we are to stand, we are to, we are to gear up in the armor of God. We need to protect ourselves against those flaming darts of the evil one. Now, those darts, they can come in many different forms. They come from the father of all lies. They are thought up in the minds of the cosmic powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil. And that's enough to make anyone tremble in fear, isn't it? But the apostle is warning us that we should not be caught sleeping. Soldiers don't sleep on the job. Soldiers remain alert. Because the darts of the devil can come at any time and from any direction. They can take all kinds of shapes and forms. Thoughts of unbelief or doubt. Perhaps even questioning the very existence of God. It can come in the form of pride, wanting to listen to the praise of men rather than listening and submitting to God. Or the sin of self-delusion, thinking that we don't really need the armor of God. But this afternoon, congregation, instead of focusing on the trickery of the devil, instead of looking first to the dangers that come from the world, from outside, its movies and its music, its perversions, its desire to call evil good and good evil, let's focus on the context in which the Holy Spirit has put these warnings. It's no coincidence that, that the instruction to put on the armor of God comes immediately after Paul's instruction on marriage and family life and working relationships in chapter 5. These are precisely the places where Satan loves to attack God's people in our relationships. And not just with brothers and sisters in the church, but especially in our closest and most intimate relationships. If he can destroy relationships, he doesn't have to do anything else because then he's got it made. If he can destroy relationships, he can, he can tear the church apart because God builds his church through families. So husbands and wives, you realize that every, every time you have a spat, the devil is laughing. And brothers, every time you fight with your wife, you're inviting the devil into your home. And every time a father is, exasperates one of his children, the, the devil is, is rubbing his hands in glee. And every time we gossip or we slander a brother and sister in the church, the devil has a big grin on his face, and he's thinking to himself, I got them right where I want them. Your enemy is not your wife or your children or your neighbor. Your enemy is the devil. And he would love you to discard your armor and close your eyes to his fiery darts. And when this happens, we and the church are surely not manifesting the wisdom and the glory of God. So what shall we do instead, brothers and sisters? Shall we run and hide? No. The apostle tells us to stand. To stand firm and take up the whole armor of God. Stand because you are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And to be strong in the Lord means to be empowered with the strength of his might. We are weak. But he is strong. We are unable, but he enables. And what happens to us who have been empowered? What do we do with that newfound strength? Well, we have to fight like soldiers. 
We put on the full armor of God so that we will be able to withstand in the evil day. We are to fight as soldiers in the army of God. A soldier is not just an idle bystander, nor is he someone to, who is unprepared. The Apostle Paul gives us a complete picture here of a battle-ready spiritual soldier. We have all the gear that we need to join the army of Christ, a complete set of body armor. And this afternoon, we're not going to go into all the details of that armor, but let's note, at least in the first place, that this armor is defensive armor. Paul's not talking about artillery and, and missiles and jet fighters. We don't have to claim more territory for Christ, do we? Since he is ruler over all kings and rulers and powers in the heavenly places. And secondly, we must remember that the army that we put on is the armor of God. We receive it from God. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. We're not the ones who make truth. We don't make righteousness. We have not invented the gospel of peace. The truth is, God dresses us in the armor that we need. And these words indicate that this armor is a present reality. He prepares us for battle in and through Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the fiery darts of the devil cannot hurt the soldier of Christ. God has given us a suit of armor and It was prepared for us on Golgotha. And in Christ, salvation is ours. And grace is ours. And forgiveness is ours. And the truth is ours. And Christ's righteousness is ours. And the gospel of peace is ours. And so we can can stand firm without fear. Christ has already won the battle. And he equips us to defend ourselves from all our enemies. And our responsibility is that we keep that armor and that we wear it every day. Not just for ourselves, but also for each other. In the English language, it's not easy to detect that all these commands in chapter 6 come in the plural. Paul is not simply addressing individual Christians, but addressing all the saints who are at Ephesus, the whole church. So when we put on our armor... For example, when we pick up our shield of faith, we don't just pick up that shield for ourselves. We need to be like Roman soldiers who march into battle with with interlocking shields so that no arrow or, or missile, no fiery dart from the devil can penetrate and start at home. Carry your shield at home for your wife, for your husband, for your children. We are to protect each other by loving each other as Christ loved his church. And we must teach our children also and encourage them to carry their shields. And office bearers in the church, ministers, elders, deacons, we too must carry our shields for mutual protection, and we should be teaching the congregation how to carry their shields, to put on their armor again and again for mutual protection. Only in this way will the church be able to make known the manifold wisdom and glory of God. And how can we do all this? Well, Paul urges us to pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We don't have strength 
in ourselves to carry that armor and even to use it properly. But we are empowered in the Lord and the strength of his might. And this too, we must do collectively. We are urged to pray for all the saints persistently. And while we remain on this earth, we remain in a continuous battle with Satan and against the rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And yes, we often cave into temptation. We succumb to the schemes of the evil one. But one thing is certain. The one who trusts in God can rest secure in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He did not falter, even though he was tempted in every way. When he was tempted by the devil in the desert, he answered, God, answered the devil with the shield of faith, which is the word of God. He overcame hellish temptations on the cross so that we might become sanctified armor bearers. And in the power of his resurrection, we too will overcome all temptations. And he has promised us this, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Amen.